Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we really dive into today's episode, I just wanted to take a second to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts, share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague. And also, if you're feeling special, feel free to leave a review on Next Level Minds on the uh, Apple Podcast app. Let me know what you think. Other than that, on to today's episode, I'm sitting down with Mike Pierce, who goes by Antarctic Mike. The reason why he goes by that name is because... In 2006, he took two trips to Antarctica to run multiple marathons uh, and really to prepare for this. He trained in a commercial cold storage facility in San Diego for two years. So because of all this, he has a flagship training program called Leading at 90 Degrees Below Zero. Uh, Because of this program, he's really helped people discover their passions. He's really helped people discover opportunities. He teaches people how to lead and manage uh, employees and different individuals. Uh, So on this episode, really just going to unpack, first off, what it was like training for this marathon, uh, some learning lessons along that. We're also going to dive into just, you know, what it's like to shift your perspective because shifting your perspective to, to a positive, you know, mindset can really change your life. So we're going to touch on that. We're also going to just touch on, you know, a, a lot of different areas about how to adapt your business or, or a career. So I'm super pumped to sit down with Antarctic Mike today. We've been really uh, trying to get this episode planned for a while now. So I'm pumped to dive in. Uh, other than that, thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Antarctic Mike, I'm uh, super pumped to have you on the Next Level Minds podcast. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's an honor. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know uh, we were messaging on LinkedIn uh, back and forth for a little bit, so it's nice to actually be in touch virtually the best we can, right? Absolutely. The best thing to, next best thing to flying to Charlotte or you flying to San Diego. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. How, uh, how is everything going in San Diego right now, by the way? It's going well. Um, you know, in terms of the virus, numbers have gone way down as they have in most places in the country. And, you know, people are pretty respectful in terms of wearing a mask and not, you know, having parties of thousands of people and all that. So, you know, most people, are, but, I, but I think also most people are like, look, let's just get on with our lives. Okay. If we're sick, we'll stay home. Other than that, we'll just look, if I go out, I can get run over by a skateboard. I can fall off a tree. I, there's a lot of things that can go wrong out there, a virus being one of many. I think a lot of, it's like Trump said earlier in the year, he said, the chickens are only going to stay in the cages for so long. And I think people are like, look, I'm ready to live my life and get out of the cage. <laughs> oh yeah. No, especially when you see uh, like different States, like social media, you know, you see someone in South Carolina going out to eat, but then in North Carolina where I'm at, you're like, why can't I be like them? It's right next to us type of thing. So I know, I know. It's like, couldn't there be one standard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course everyone's like comparing themselves and everything. So, uh, definitely understand yeah. that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped to really dive in, uh, again, like I said, it's, uh, been a while that we've been trying to plan this. So, um, I guess before we get started, I know you go by, uh, Antarctic Mike and, you know, you have a, an amazing flagship program where it's really all about leading at 90 degrees, uh, below zero. So, before we really go into all that, I would love just if you could go on your background a little bit and, and also explain kind of where you got this uh, Antarctic, Antarctic Mike name too. <laughs> <laughs> my, my professional background is as a headhunter. I spent the better part of 15 years helping companies find people. And mm-hmm. what happened was um, 
I was in Bakersfield, California on a business trip. This was in August of 2001. And I was on a recruiting trip and I ran into a bookstore. I'm trying to see if I actually have the book right here at my disposal. I don't think it's sitting right in front of me. Well, I, I went into this Barnes and Noble bookstore. I saw this photograph on the cover of a business book titled Shackleton's Way. And I had no idea what this book was about. So I just picked it up. I spent 10 minutes thumbing through it to try and understand the overview of the book. And within that 10 minutes, I got it. It was the story of Ernest Shackleton hiring 27 people in, this was in 1914. And their goal, the plan was to go to Antarctica and cross the continent on foot from one end to the other. And of course, things don't always go as planned. They certainly did not plan on the ship getting stuck in the ice and splintering into a bazillion pieces. They didn't plan on living on ice floats for months. And last but not least, they did not certainly plan on all 28 of those people surviving and coming home to tell the story. And Shackleton's Way is really the story of how Ernest Shackleton led the people. And it just became such a magnet for me because at the time, I mean, I understood that companies have to hire people, but the biggest problem in recruiting is not hiring them. It's keeping them and making sure they're engaged. And so I thought this story has to be a gold mine of lessons for leaders. So I bought the book and then I bought another one and another one. And I kind of became a junkie, so to speak, of the subject. And that led me to go to Antarctica twice in the year 2006, which we'll get to. But I fell in love with the story on that first day in August of 2001. Then what happened, you asked me the other part of the question was, how did I get my nickname? Well, after I had developed, I developed a leadership course for my company that I was working for as an employee at the time, and it became a total hit. And then I thought to myself, I got to take this to the real world. So I thought to myself, I have to create an exit strategy to get out of this company. And it took me a little while to do that. But along the way, I knew I needed to go to Antarctica. If I'm going to talk about these guys, I have to go there. Otherwise, I don't have credibility. So in March of 2005, I committed to running the first ever Antarctic ice marathon. I hadn't run a marathon in 20 years. This was the first time this was ever done. So my intent in going, I was one of nine people. So my intent was um, to go down there and look for a struggle. I mean, I was looking for the fight of my life because I wanted to understand what my heroes went through 100 years ago. And so I committed to this thing. And then what happened was I ended up calling a sports talk radio station and I was only calling just to talk to one of the, the guys that I had met off air. I met him at a sports bar and I didn't know the phone number on the business card he gave me was the on air phone number. I had no idea. And I had never been on a radio show in my whole life. So when I called this phone number, the call screener answers the phone. And I said, I'm looking to speak to Billy Ray Smith. I got his business card on Friday. I met him at a sports bar and he's expecting my call. And she said, well, they're not taking phone calls. They're at a charity golf tournament today. They're not taking calls. And I said, well, he's expecting my call. He asked me specifically to call him on Monday morning. This was a Monday morning I was calling. She would not put me through. And I thought to myself, I got to get past this lady. So I thought to myself, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And I said, tell him it's Antarctic Mike he'll take the phone call. So she put it through and about 45 minutes later, and I just sat there on hold. I thought I'm going to sit here until the end of the show. If I have to 45 minutes into being on hold, he goes, his partner who didn't know me says, Hey, Billy Ray, we got some guy on hold calling himself Antarctic Mike. And the guy that I had met Billy Ray speaks up and he goes, that's the guy I met on Friday. Put him on click there I'm on the radio show, right? Live. And I had never done this in my whole life. And so Antarctic Mike just became something instinctively in the moment that I just blurted out to a call screener to try and get past her. And it worked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing. And it just kind of stuck since then, huh? It's just, yeah, it's just been kind of a nickname that's become a stage name and one that I'm pretty known by. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, that's cool that you were just on the phone too for 45 minutes. You're like, all right, I'm making this happen no matter what. I, oh, love that mindset I mean, I just parked there and I said, I ain't hanging this thing up to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm in sales like in my day job and the, the executive assistants can definitely be tricky out there. So, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, b- backing up a little bit with the, uh, the headhunter role, um, and, and mm-hmm. creating this leadership course, what, what was that like? Cause I assume, was that one of your first courses that you created or? It was the first and only one I had ever done. Yeah. I had never done this in my life. And what I did was I just, basically I cut pictures like this out of a really big book that I spent 40 bucks on at a Barnes and Noble. And it just basically was this whole story in picture format, or maybe, I don't know, 80 or 100 pictures in the book. And I just cut them out and scanned them in the computer, and I put them in chronological order to tell the story using only photographs. And it became a smashing success within my company. This became like the hottest thing in my company. And I knew I had something really, I mean, I marched it all around the United States and Canada within all of the locations where, you know, our company had spots. And I remember the very last program I ever delivered was in Indianapolis. We were at the Marriott Hotel on the north side of Indianapolis. I'll never forget this. And it's a, the course that I was putting this program in was a four-day course. And day three was basically Shackleton's story. And so at the end of four days, all the participants would go around the room, you know, saying what they had learned in the four days. And here's the highlight of the four days. And I'll never forget this at this hotel in Indianapolis. There was a guy sitting at about 10 o'clock to my left. And I can still picture this. He speaks up and he goes, I don't even know where the hell Antarctic is, but I'm ready to go. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I got him. (laughs) That was the moment when I knew I had created something very special. And that really was the moment when I said to myself, I'm taking what I've created and I'm getting out of here and I'm going to bring it to the rest of the world. I've got to take this to FedEx and, you know, all these other places around the world. And that was the moment when I basically told myself, I'm jumping out of the plane with a parachute. <laughs> how long, uh, how long from that initial, Hey, I'm going to start this course, uh, uh-huh. to that event at the Marriott that, that you remember that was kind of like, all right, this is the real deal. Let's Did you, see. You know? the, let's see. The course was created like in September of 2001. Mm-hmm. That day in the Indianapolis Marriott was probably 2003, so maybe a couple of years. And during that two-year two period, two- or three-year period, I had taken the course from location to location to location. And Indianapolis just happened to be the last location on the list. Yeah. How do you deal with uh, just kind of entry-level rejection that probably happened of, hey, you know, I have this course, leadership, and going all in there? I mean, how did you just deal with that and keep moving? Well, what happened was my company had already approved a leadership course. They spent a fortune on a course called Managing for Excellence. Mm. And it was written by a guy named John Cotter out of Harvard, who was a famous guy. I'm sure my company spent thousands of dollars on this thing. And I remember what I did was I thought, I've got to somehow put this new course into the existing one. So the course was already scheduled. The dates were already scheduled with my company. I didn't do any of that. I just basically substituted day three's material. I basically threw, I literally remember going, they had these big binders of, you know, day one, day two, day three, and day four. I remember still going through the binders, going to day three, opening up the three rings, taking all the documents from day three out and throwing them in the trash, literally, (laughs) to all hundreds of books. And I didn't get permission from my boss. I just did it because I figured, hey, they're going to like it. And if they don't like it, I'll take it somewhere else. And so I did that. And it, like I say, it became this smashing success. People just loved it. Now, I made the same points that the course was supposed to make. Mm. I just used a story to illustrate the points because I figured a story is much better. And, it, and, it, and I think the fact that people responded so well to it is a testimony to the power of the right story, right? A story is a vehicle that just goes from point A to point B. And as long as you're really telling a compelling story where you put the viewers in the story and make the points, I mean, I, I got an email last year from a guy in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, I can't even remember his name, but he said, you probably don't remember me. But I was a part 
of SCI, that was the company that I was working for at the time, I saw you deliver this program 10 years ago. And I still remember this specific point. And he had a photograph that I used to make this particular point. He goes, I use this in my sales meetings every week. And I've been doing this for 10 years. And I mean, you know, I hear stuff like that every once in a while. I'm like, I know the power of story. It sticks with people forever. And so, um, yeah, I mean, my attitude was, you know, I didn't get this approved by my company in advance of doing it. We were publicly traded. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, do you know what the approval process is like in a publicly traded company? I'm like, I'll be dead and gone by the time these clowns get around to this, right? So I just, I said, forget it. I'm just doing it my way. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, man, that's awesome. How did it feel just uh, being able to impact somebody like that? I mean, 10 years later, that's got to feel great. That's, you know, I get emails and phone calls from people, you know, years after the fact, and I hear stories, you know, you inspired me. I did this. I did that. I completed college. I lost weight. I got married. I bought a house. I'm raising my kids. My kids are learning these lessons. I mean, I hear that stuff a lot. And it's like, it's kind of like why I do it. You know, I mean, yeah. I'm really in it to, to change people's lives. The fact that I make a living at it is kind of a byproduct of that. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of brings me to a random question here. What, like, what's a common, I guess, hindrance or challenge that's you know kind of the people you're speaking with are, are dealing with maybe like some just common things out there that people are struggling with to get past i'll tell you a story that'll answer the question yeah. i was remember in it because Cent- it's a story <laughs> i was in central wisconsin i was in wausau wisconsin which is like right up in the dead center of the state and i just given a speaking engagement lady comes up to me who was in the audience and she said you know what mike it's really hard to motivate people who live here in central Wisconsin. Is it the water? Is it the air? Like, you know, what's the issue, right? I said to her, what is it the wrong water? (laughs) She laughed. She said, no, companies here don't pay a livable wage. Mm. And I said to her, well, let me ask you a question. When these people signed up to go to work for the company that they're working for, did they know what the compensation model was before they took the job? Well, yeah. Well, if they don't like it, why did they say yes? Well, you know, things changed. Okay, well, why don't they go get a job? Why don't they work for another company? There's thousands of them. She said, they all pay the same. I said to her, well, you know, last time I checked, there's 49 states within the confines of the United States, and you don't need a visa or permission to move from one to the other. She said, they can't move. What are they in the witness protection program? No, they have families here. I said, well, with all due respect, my, fa- my closest family member is in Raleigh, North Carolina. My residence is in San Diego, California. I mean, you do what you have to do, right? So to answer the question, what's a hindrance? I think sometimes to get, get leaders to own the points, because for this to really work, people have to own the principles and then put mm. those principles into play into the culture of the group. And I think that that's the biggest challenge. How do I get a leader or a manager to change their paradigm? Because that's, that's hard to do because people build up muscle memory and habits and sometimes breaking those and changing those are very difficult because I'm not with them day to day in order for that to happen. So I think the challenge is like if I'm a CEO, how do I get my people to own this and really make it a part of their habit so that these things in question become automatic? That's probably the biggest challenge. Yeah. No, that's, that's a, such a good point too. I like, I liked what you mentioned about the paradigm. Like some, sometimes just the way you're raised, how you grew up, people you interact with. I mean, it gives you your perspective on life, which is so hard to change sometimes. It sometimes it really is. Yeah. Because, you know, just from muscle memory, we've seen something, heard something or done something so many times this way, we're just going to do it this way by default. Yeah. And, and about the, and changing the default is hard. Yeah. For any and, of us. You were just talking about public companies. You know, some of these companies have been around forever. It's like, oh, we've always done it this way. It's like, okay, well, it's time to shift it up a little bit. So, but then I hear stories of great companies who do it this way. And the cultures of these companies are night and day difference. Now, the irony is there aren't very many of them. I mean, I can tell you who they are and where they are. I mean, there's just that few. Um, I can give you names, addresses, phone numbers, right? Just because there's just not many of them. But 
Well, th this is why nationally, statistically speaking, only 30%, 30% of employees are consistently engaged in what they do for a mm. living. 30%. That's terrible. And quite frankly, that's the fault of the leaders. That has nothing to do with genetics. That has nothing to do with who's president or what zip code you're in or where your water comes from. That's your fault as a leader. Now, the good news is those things are changeable. Those things can, can be different. If people put the right things in play, change their habits and their paradigms, things can change. Yeah. Is it hard to um, like convince those leaders of the ownership side? Because you know the 30% engaged, it's like, hey, this is all coming back on you, or is that a relatively easy conversation? That's a pretty easy conversation because most of the CEOs that I've been in front of, they know it's their fault. They yeah. know if, if change is going to occur, it starts right here with me, right? And I think they understand that. And I don't think I have to really convince them of that. The, again, the, the challenging part is, are they going to habitually change paradigms, change habits, change practices so that these things become ingrained into the culture. That's the big challenge. Yeah. And changing habits is so hard. So it is. Yeah. But no, like Tony good. Robbins says, when the pain level gets high enough, they do it. <laughs> yeah. You, you force yourself to, to change <laughs> habits based on that. Yeah. That's so true. true. Um, so kind of what was it like? I'd love for you to touch on this too. First off, what was it like training for this marathon and uh, Antarctica, uh, in San Diego, I imagine it's, it's pretty hot out there. So, <laughs> Yeah, 50 degrees is about as cold as it gets, right? I mean, anything under 50, it's like breaking news. You know, lock <laughs> up the kids, lock up the pets, call the army. You know, I mean, they go bananas. But yeah, so the big challenge is how does a guy from San Diego get ready for a place called Antarctica? The answer was a commercial freezer. Now, this is where I always say the story kind of becomes a cartoon as if it's not already. So I, I literally, going back to that phone call I placed to that call screener on the radio station, as soon as I hung up the phone from that interview, I thought to myself, okay, you're, now you're on the hook, Mike. You just were on a live radio show that goes into San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. This is a 50,000 watt signal that has a large reach. This was the second most populated sports talk show on AM radio in America. And I'm thinking mm -hmm. to myself, how many hundreds of gazillions of people now did I just commit to? So I thought, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I gotta find a freezer. And I literally at that moment, I reached into the cabinet below the, where the phone was on the counter. I pulled out something that some of your listeners may not even recognize called the yellow pages, <laughs> literally. <laughs> I turned the phone book to the word freezer. And I started calling every phone number listed under the word freezer. Literally. I mean, I must've made 30 or 40 phone calls. And the phone call sounded like this. Hi, this is Mike Pierce. My nickname is Antarctic Mike. And I'm going to go to this place in Antarctica to run this marathon in January of 2006. And I'd like to train in your freezer. Like that was literally how the phone call went. Right. And what happened was, of course, most people were like, you got to be out of your mind, click, right? <laughs> I had one lady who got very excited about this. She said, oh, this sounds really great, da-da-da-da, but I can't give you permission. I'm like, well, who do we have to talk to? She said, we have to talk to Josh. He's the manager. I said, well, put him on. Well, he's in a meeting, right? The manager's always in a meeting, right? Oh, Salespeople yeah. understand. He's in a meeting. So I leave Josh a voicemail. Does Josh call me back? Of course not, right? So I leave another one and another one, and finally I thought to myself, all right, Mike, you've been in sales your whole life. Josh is not calling you back. So what are you going to do? I went to the cold storage facility. I showed up. I literally showed up. I had on, this was in April of 2005. I'll never forget this. It was about 8,000 degrees. I had on this big red parka with a big fuzzy hood. I had a face mask. I had goggles. I had mitts. I had the whole, I mean, I look like a bank robber out of North Dakota. <laughs> I literally knocked on Josh's door, literally. Josh opens the door and I said, Josh, this is Antarctic Mike. I'm sure the outfit's probably given that away. I said, now you know I'm serious that I really want to train in your freezer. So <laughs> he gives me the tour of the facility, right? And um, I'm like, okay, now we're ready to go, right? And he goes, no, no, no. 
we got to get permission from the owner. I'm like, well, cool. Well, I'm here. Let's, let's go down to his office. No, Mike, you don't understand. He's not here. He only comes in once a week. He lives in Pasadena. Now, Pasadena, for those of you that don't know geography of Southern California, is about 120 miles from San Diego. But in LA traffic, it's about three weeks to get there, right? And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get to this guy? He lives in Pasadena. Then he says to me, oh, he's 80 years old. He's getting ready to retire. And he doesn't speak English very well. He's from the country of Hungary. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get this through to this guy, right? So I kept emailing this guy and leaving him voicemails, and he finally calls me back. And I remember where I was when I was in Riverside, California on a business call. He calls me back. Hi, this is Tibor. I hear you want to train in my freezer. I mean, he kind of sounded like Boris from Rocky and Bullwinkle, right? He has this heavy accent. And he says, I hear you want to train in my freezer. I says, yeah. (laughs) He says, you know, I used to own a business in Antarctica. I said to him, what the hell did you do? Sell cars down there? Like, what do you mean a business? (laughs) He said, I used to own an engineering company. We built the closed loop system for the water and the diesel fuel at McMurdo, the largest research facility on the continent. And I said, I knew we had something in common. It's about time we met. And that's how I talked my way into the freezer. (laughs) Oh my God. That's, I know it was the craziest phone call of my life. I'll never forget that. And it's also like while you're planning to to do this, it seems like one barrier after one barrier after one barrier was coming up to you. It was just obstacle after obstacle to make this happen. Yeah, but I wasn't was, taking no. <laughs> what was uh, what was Josh's reaction like when you were knocking on the door and your you know parka and everything? He was shocked. I mean, if you did that today, he'd probably shoot and ask questions later, right? I mean, yeah. I literally had my face covered. Well, of course, now with a mask, it might be acceptable. But, you know, before 2020, I mean, I mean, I look like a bank robber. I had a big black mask. I mean, I goggles with mirrored lenses. You couldn't even see my eyes. I mean, it, it was probably a little spooky to him. But, yeah, he yeah. was like, who the hell is this guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he was actually cool. He's like, hey, I appreciate you coming down and da 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 And so he was cool about it. Yeah, no, for sure. So, so question out there, just from advice uh, to the listeners uh, who may be trying to like break into a market with their business or, you know, an entry level sales positions. Like it obviously sounded like you went through a lot of barriers, but you broke through the wall there. I mean, what would you suggest for people who are just like constantly hitting walls, whether it's in their business or career right now? Are you making the assumption that somebody's trying to get a job, let's say? No. So they're, you know, let's say they have a business and they're just trying to get clients and they're really struggling. I mean, what would you suggest if they're just keep hitting wall after wall after wall from a mindset perspective there to keep going? Well, I I think it's a two-sided coin. I mean, on the one hand, you got to keep trying things. I mean, I think if you have a viable business and I'm defining that by, I have a legitimate product or service that a legitimate market will pay for. Okay. Making that assumption then it's just a matter of reaching the audience favorably. And I think you have to ask yourself the question, if it's not working, ask yourself this question, what can I do differently to position myself more favorably in front of the audience that I'm catering to, right? Mm -hmm. And and who that audience is, is going to vary from business to business. But I think you have to get very creative and ask yourself the question, what can I do to position myself in front of this audience that nobody else in my industry is doing? Is there a problem I can solve? Is there value I can add? Or is there something I can do for my audience that nobody else in my industry is doing? I mean, if you start solving problems for people and adding value in a way that nobody else can or will, they're going to start calling you. They're going to be like, I'll drive further and spend more money for that stuff right? So I think the question becomes positioning yourself in front of people differently than most people do it. Mm. And really just trying to find that differentiator, right? Exactly. I mean, my nickname and my outfit was a differentiator. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) It really was. (laughs) That's true. You had the name and you had the outfit to go along with the name. Oh, I had, I was the complete cartoon character. (laughs) Yeah. 
I really wish like I could just transport back to see that in San Diego, California. I mean, oh my god, I bet that was hilarious. <laughs> I know. I wish I had a camera guy with me to film all that on the spot. Would have been hilarious to have all that. But boy, that's a memory in my head forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what are like? Okay, so you get you know approved to use this storage facility. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the guy's really excited. So what was that day one like? Was it like okay, good luck. I'm gonna try my best. Or did you have a really strict routine to? train for that or I lived in the freezer. I mean, now the, the hard part of the freezer was not the temperature. It was cold. It was 22 degrees below zero. That wasn't the real hard part. I mean, you wear the right clothes and your body keeps moving. Your body's a pretty good heater. Yeah. The hard part was the distance between one frozen gun may gun gunmetal gray wall and the other back and forth and back and forth. I only had 59 feet from this wall to this wall. And I would go back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, forever training for a 26.2 mile marathon like this. And most people are thinking to themselves, you got to be out of your mind, right? The monotony alone will kill you. And I did think that way. And then I had a flashback to 1976 I grew up in a city called Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour outside of Philadelphia. I used to play hockey on a random Thursday night hockey practice in 1976. I can still vision this today in 2020 like it was 1976. One of my three coaches, his name is Ed. Ed skates up to me. He looks at me and he says this, Mike, you will play the game the way you practice. If you choose to make the practice harder, the game goes easier. He skated away. Hmm. That was a 15-second encounter at best. Little did I know, 15 of the most important seconds of my whole life just took place on a random Thursday night hockey practice in Allentown, Pennsylvania at 623 North Hanover Street. I can still picture this place like it was yesterday because what Ed taught me was to see difficulty differently. He taught me to see difficulty as an ally, Mm. not as an enemy. That paradigm shift changed everything in my life. Not just as a salesperson, not just as an athlete, it changed me as a person because I started seeing things very differently. And it really came into play this year. I mean, 2020 has been realistically the most difficult year for many people around the world. Well, my paradigm shifted. Okay, well, how can I use this to my advantage? How can I see this difficulty as something that's an opportunity? And it has. Doors have opened. I met people like you and many others online. I've met more people online in the last two weeks than I may have previously met in the previous two months if I had just been bouncing around the country like the way I normally do. So there's always opportunity in the middle of difficulty. And I've just seen that too many times. But I learned that lesson as an 11-year-old kid in 1976. So every time I was in that freezer going like this, the picture I had in my mind was that I was strengthening the mental muscles, the muscle of discipline and the muscle of confidence. Those are the two most important muscles in the body of any human being. I'm changing my paradigm as to what difficulty is and what it isn't because my confidence and my discipline muscles right here are being strengthened. Every time I go like this and pivot back and forth, these muscles get stronger. Mm. Ah, man, I, I love that. I love that. It's like something from 11 years old when you were playing hockey, that 15 seconds just changed your whole paradigm right there. That's so cool. And at the time, it's just a random practice, right? I mean, you know, you're yeah. an 11-year-old kid screwing around in practice. You don't think about it then. It's funny how you know, 30 years later, it comes back to me and I go, oh, that's what it was meant for. <laughs> yeah. So if you're dealing with a difficulty, I guess, kind of from an advice standpoint, it's just asking yourself, what, what opportunity can I you know, get out of this difficulty I'm in right now? Well, I think the first step is what Shackleton did. The context of this photo is a great story. They were sailing down to Antarctica in their ship, and then the boat got stuck in the ice. And instead of them trying to panic and, and try and saw the way, they were literally trying to saw through the sea ice. Mm. I mean, that sea, this is the ocean. The sea ice here was about 20 feet thick. I mean, trying to saw through, trying to 
thaw the ship freeze, like standing on the roof of the house with a bucket when the fire's coming. So Shackleton then organized this soccer game. And what's interesting is the message he sent to his people was, let go. Hmm. Let go of what you cannot control. Focus on what you can control. This picture goes with me everywhere. It sits in a frame. I just pull it out here to use it on Zoom calls, but it normally is in a frame on my wall over here because every day I look at this and I think to myself, don't waste time sawing ships from the ice. Think about what you can control. And so in the middle of, I mean, this ship would easily represent 2020, right? We've all been kind of locked in the ice. Well, okay, don't focus on this. Focus on what can I do? Well, I can go on LinkedIn, I can go on Facebook, I can go on social media channels, and I can meet people like you, and I can meet people like Colin Evans, and I can name all the names, right? I can get into conversations like this. I can, I can do things. I can create speaking engagements online, which I've done, I don't know how many dozens of times since March. I mean, you just figure out what it is that I can do, not focusing on what I can't do. And I think that's the paradigm shift when you get into a difficult situation. Oh man, that, that's so true. Like I love, it's just asking yourself like, okay, what behaviors and habits can I implement right now? Focus on what you can control. I mean, Hey, exactly. like, you know, let's say you want to, you know, gain or lose muscle. It's like, okay, am I waking up early going to the gym before work? Am I eating right? These are things that you control. No one's forcing you to sleep in and skip the gym or watch TV and skip the gym. It's, it's uh -huh. literally up to you. Well, people say, well, I can't get up at six o'clock in the morning. Okay, well, you, you're right. When you go to bed at midnight, that's true. Go yeah. to bed earlier, right? That's what I can control. I can control when I go to bed so I can get a full night's rest, just end the day sooner so I can start earlier, right? There's always things you can change in terms of what you have control over. Yeah, no, and it's just, it's just like adapting too to the situation. Like the, the 12 a.m. example is a perfect example. If you go to bed at midnight, yeah, you're not going to be able to get up at six, but that's an alternate. Going to bed at 10, waking up at six, ready to go, so... Yeah, I mean, I get up, my general wake-up time is about 4 o'clock in the morning. But guess what? My go-to-bed time is like 7.30 or 8 o'clock the night. <laughs> pre That's just what I do, right? Because yeah, yeah. I have to sleep like the rest of the world, right? I'm not immune from that. But I changed my habits and paradigms because I like mornings. I've taught myself as a 12-year-old kid that the day started at 4 o'clock in the morning because I had a newspaper route for eight years. Mm. Eight years as a 12-year-old kid – I got up morning after morning, I mean, Christmas day, New Year's day, sick day, every day, four o'clock in the morning was the start of my day. And I just think that habit has been a great habit and I want to keep it going. Well, as I get older, I need more sleep. I can't go to bed at midnight and get up at four. I used to be able to do that when I was, you know, 15. Can't do it at age 55. So you just go to bed earlier. No big deal. Yeah, no, for sure. I like that's really been my biggest paradigm shift. I used to play the victim mindset of like, oh, I can't do this or why not this. But as soon as I realized I'm in control of my behaviors and my habits, I could drastically change my outlook and perspective. I will tell you one of the best paradigm shifts I ever learned in my life. I learned from Shackleton. What do I need to let go of today? Mm. Bad attitudes, bad habits, bad people, bad circumstances, bad choices. Let them go. Let them go. We as people hold on to so many things, regrets and lost sales and missed opportunities. I mean, let it go. <laughs> let yeah. it go. Free your mind and your time up to focus on what you can control, not what you can't. This was the biggest thing I learned from Shackleton. Yeah, and then people always just, I mean, if you, if you can't let it go, you're going to hold a grudge, which I, that never plays out well. So. Oh, that doesn't, I mean, that's only going to kill you sooner than later, right? I mean, seriously. People develop health problems and all that. And some of that you can really trace back to bad attitudes, regrets, whatever it is. I mean, just let it go. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, absolutely. So like speaking of behaviors, habits, things that you can implement, I know one of your big kind of drivers of your uh, program is just discovering, you know, your passionate purpose and really answering that, that important question of not what you're doing, but, but why you're doing it in business. So can you kind of elaborate on that point a little bit? Yeah, you have to really love what you do. You have to just, I mean, I, I remember I got to about age 40, right before I went to Antarctica, and I knew I wanted to be a speaker. And I was working for a company at the time. And I thought to myself, okay, there's only so much sand in the hourglass left in terms of quality working years that I have ahead of me. I want to make it count. 
I did not want to look back after it was too late to make a choice and say, oh, I wish I had done that. I mean, too many people wake up every day, they bite their tongue, and they tolerate a job they really don't like just to trade their time for a paycheck to pay the bills. And I thought to myself, that's like the dumbest plan I ever heard in my life. (laughs) Now, granted, if I have to take a job to feed myself and Angela and my cats, I will. But if I have a choice in the matter, I'm going to make a different choice. And I think there's a lot more options that people have if they create choices. People can create choices. Hmm. I mean, if you just create value and solve problems and add value to things, you can create a lot of opportunities. A lot of the best job I ever had in my life when I worked for a company, I created the job from scratch. It never existed before I got there because I had a relationship with Bob March and George Hubbard. I still remember these guys like it was yesterday. And I solved problems and added value for them. And they said, we'll hire the guy. We'll just create a spot. And they literally did. So I think that you, you have to do the things you love to do. Otherwise, what are you doing? I mean, it's just, it's just a waste. Yeah. And life's so short too. Like, I mean, it's, it'll fly by. I mean, what it's, it's already halfway through October, basically that we're recording right now. I mean, where did 2020 go? So I know. And look at how time, how time, I mean, look today, Eddie Van Halen died today. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. It's like, wow, time is, I remember seeing Eddie Van Halen in 1981 at the spectrum in Philadelphia. Like it was yesterday. I'm like, where did all that time go? It just, it, goes like that, you know? Yeah, for sure. To your point about the job, like I, I read uh, something the other day. It was like it was 70% of people are dissatisfied uh, with their job right now. I mean, that's, that's a big number if you multiply that by how many people are working. Right oh, now. I know. And the sad thing is they have a lot more choice in the matter than they realize. A lot more choice. Yeah. And I think it's like not to go too deep on like personal finance, but I think it also is like, you know, you get a job that, that you hate, but then you start buying things, you know, with credit cards and then you're like, damn, I'm stuck in this cycle because I have to pay for this car, this house, blah, blah, blah. So it's, uh, well, and if you're stuck in, if you're stuck in the rut, you created the rut by yeah. chart, by buying those things that you couldn't have afforded. Right. So yeah, if you want to make a change, you're going to have to con- I'm not advocating that you be irresponsible financially, but I'm going to have to make different choices to position myself to create some other opportunities for myself. And one of those things I may have to change are my spending habits and my lifestyle in order to facilitate the change that I want to create. Yeah. How, um, and this is something I struggle with too, just at a young age, how can you develop clarity? Uh, I think that's so hard to do in a noisy world. When you say develop clarity, can you be more specific? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you're talking about, and and, you know, we were just talking about like finding your why behind what you're doing and really Mm -hmm. finding your passion. So kind of developing clarity on on what you actually want to do with your life and and creating opportunities like that. That's hard to answer. Um, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do when I was 18 years old. I knew I wanted to be a keynote speaker. I just knew that from day one. But a lot of people don't know that. I think what happens is people go through life and they go through various intersections. And I think at some of these intersections, our calling speaks to us. It speaks to us in terms of, hey, this is what you really are good at. This is what you really love to do. But if we're not paying attention to the road signs, we'll go through the intersection and miss them. Mm. So I think we have to pay attention because I think sometimes the real calling of people, the voices are out there. We just have to listen in the intersections that we go through. And I think that I think they find you more than you find them if you're listening. Mm. And that's just taking the time to, to listen for those, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I love that. And it's like, it's so hard too with social media and it's, I mean, just turn your I phone know. off and start and just think, you know? I know exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what's, uh, you know, obviously it sounds like you're really good at, at, at breaking down uh, walls and challenges and barriers, especially with, you know, getting in that commercial fridge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are some, besides not having Josh turn your phone calls, you know, what are some like failures you've kind of had along your journey that you've learned from? I don't know if you call it failures, but some of the difficulties I've had along the way have been, um, uh, my wife has gone through some very, I've been married for 30 years to the same person. 
and she had an accident when she was 18. Hmm. And we've had medical, I've seen more medical, I'm halfway through medical school just because of the number of times I've been in the hospital. Um, So we've seen a lot of difficulties with health issues. And yet I've learned from Shackleton how to get through those. Hmm. I mean, I've seen near-death experiences. I've seen all kinds of things. And I've learned how to get through that because of this story. This story has taught me how to get through the hardest moments in life, the most challenging situations financially, health-wise, all kinds of things. Mm, I love that. And it all goes back to that story, which I think is kind of your, your driving North Star that's like you've really built the program out of. Just a random story that I invested 10 minutes in in a bookshop in Bakersfield, California on an August day in the year 2001. I mean, it's amazing how 10 minutes invested in a story can change your life. Mm, yeah. And, and 10 I, minutes really can change your life, literally. Yeah. yeah. So, and <laughs> I mean, you had your life changed in 15 seconds by your, by your hockey coach too. So. Yeah. It can change you in 15 seconds too. Exactly. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. But then, then you flip that back and it goes like to the importance of listening, you know, you were, you were listening to what he had to say. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's big. So what's wow. uh just kind of like, what would you say kind of a broad level question though? Just some like general advice for people out there who may just be starting out or, you know, growing in their career, but they just really do want to build something special, whether it's in their business, their career. Obviously there's probably a lot of challenges they're going to experience along the way. Um, is it just going back to, you know, let it go type of mindset or? Well, I guess putting myself in the shoes of somebody who's at the inception of my career, starting a business. I mean, I would say, and, you know, ask yourself the question, what problem am I solving or what value am I creating for somebody? Mm. And how can I do it in a way that's unique and authentic to me that really creates a point of differentiation in the marketplace? And if I can do that, then the next question is, well, what do I have to do to get it off the ground? What do I have to do financially? How do I position myself? How am I going to meet people? How am I going to get in front of them? And then it's just a matter of going to work. I mean, most business habits come down to one thing, meeting people. Just meet them. Meet enough of the right people on a favorable basis. You know, don't get in front of them and scream at them about how great you are and your stuff is. Get in front of them and ask them questions about themselves. (laughs) Ask them about their story. Ask them about their business. When you talk about them instead of you, they'll talk, they'll listen, and they'll tell you what you want to know, and they'll invite you in. Yeah. No, it's like, I mean, it's sales is, I mean, you obviously are a trainer, it's about 90% listening, 10% talking, maybe even more or less on the same side there. So. Yeah. And when you do talk, make sure the talk are questions that ask about them. Mm. If salespeople just went into every sales call with a tablet, I still use paper a lot, blank tablet, a pencil, and you just ask questions, you make no statements, you have no brochures, no value props, none of that nonsense. Ask good questions and write the answers down. You will make more sales than the next 15 guys that come in and start talking. Yeah. Plus people love talking about themselves too. So Of course they do. Of course they do. Plus my perception of that salesperson will be, well, they're interested in me. I kind of want to work with him or her Yeah, because they've taken an interest in me. Yeah. And they'll plus just you, transpose that right onto the quality of whatever you sell. Yeah. Yeah. No. Plus you can, um, like you can dig into and realize like, okay, should I actually bring this product or service up? And then it saves you so much time in the front end as well. Totally. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Um, oh. well, well, other than that, like, what would you say? And I always ask this question, just your, your one word to, to really describe like the success and journey you've had so far in life. Um, I would say it's two words. Okay. Um, I would say keep conquering. Love it. Find a way to move forward. No matter what. Love it obstacles, rain, shine, snow, tornadoes, hail, keep going. Yeah. Just keep, keep going. Keep moving forward. If you have a conviction, let the conviction drive you. 
Don't mm. let anything be an excuse to stop you. The world is full of excuses and most of them grind people to a halt. Yeah. Instead of really fuel them to moving further ahead, which is really what they should be doing. Yeah. No, oh man, I love that. Keep conquering. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I heard a quote like forever ago. It was one of those that I heard, I think at 14, but it's like you mentioned <laughs> at 11, it's kind of stuck with me. Uh, yeah. It, it Excuses are the nails to the house of failure. So I think that's Boy, true. Isn't that the truth, huh? Yep, that's yeah. very true. Well, well, other than that, where um, where can people connect with you, uh, Antarctic Mike? I would love for you just to like oh. <laughs> let everyone know about your program and what's going on in your world right now. You can find me online. You can go to antarcticmike.com. Just spell the word Antarctic correctly. There are two C's in the word. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook. Just look up Antarctic Mike you will not confuse me with anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you have any uh, like highlights or uh, anything with your program you want the listeners to know about just in your world? Um, it's, just, it's just a series of stories that really teach people how to navigate through change, chaos, and crisis. That's really what my message is about, about navigating through change, chaos, and crisis, whether it's on the job or off the job. And it's a series of stories, and the stories are unique, and they're compelling. And I put the listener in the story and make the point. And so the chances that you're going to remember the point of the story for a long time are very high because the stories are very compelling and you will remember them for the rest of your life, which is the goal, right? So then you'll probably remember the points for the rest of your life, which is yeah. really the ultimate compliment to somebody like me. If I can get the listener to remember and use things years after the fact, I've really delivered value. Yeah, no, I'm already like remembering the stories you brought up uh, this this <laughs> exactly. evening. So exactly, um, they're probably going to stick with me. Especially, I, I can't get this image out of my head of you in the red parka right now. So. <laughs> it, it was quite comical. That's picture Kenny from South Park. Oh <laughs> that's yeah, what I look like. Okay. Remember that little dude with the hood and the fuzz? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's so only only when I speak. I'm a little bit more clear than Kenny was. Kenny was a little hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, <laughs> he kind of mumbled, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Well, Antarctic Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast today. I know the listeners out there uh, got a lot of value. Thank and I'm you. Sure they're, uh, they're definitely going to keep conquering. So uh, other than that, I really appreciate it. Excellent. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's been an honor. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Mike on LinkedIn. He's definitely got some solid content out there. Other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead. And as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. <laughs> <laughs>